the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. David says we have a greater strength than the size of our army. We have the Lord. We have the Lord. And the reason why David declares this is because, you see, he put his faith, his hope, his confidence, and his trust, not in that which is seen, but in that which is unseen. In an invisible God, David would run and cling and and rely upon, not in a visible army, but in an invisible God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. David knew that the source of his strength was the Lord. He knew that his battles were won not because of his army, but because God was on his side. Pastor Gary teaches today that the Lord is our strength. If we can truly grasp this, we will find that there is no challenge in life which we cannot face. No problem, situation, failure, sin, or army is too strong for the Lord. If you have found life to be too difficult to handle, it's because you have not placed your hope in God. Ask Christ into your heart so that He can help you with your burdens. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 20 for part one of today's message titled, Trusting God. We're going to be in Psalm 20 and 21 today, so if you'll take your Bibles and uh, join me in Psalm 20 and 21. Ushers have Bibles in hand as they come down the aisles, so if you want to receive a Bible from one of them so you can follow along, feel free to raise a hand. They'll be glad to give you a Bible. Uh, Psalm 20 is where we will start. That's page 408 in the church Bibles. Also wanted to make mention while you're finding your place there in Psalm 20 that we will be sharing communion together at the close of the service, so... That is also a part of today's schedule. Psalm 20 and 21. These two chapters we're going to look at together because they are considered companion psalms in the book of Psalms. What I mean by that is uh, chapter 20 is really a petition from David. He's asking God for something. And chapter 21 is praise from David. He's thanking God for answering what he asked in chapter 20. So we'll notice these two chapters here together. I'm going to read both of them. And you'll notice that when we go from chapter 20 to 21, we're going to, the tone changes from chapter 20, which was a a chapter about worry and concern and distress. 
and it moves into chapter 21, which was a chapter about gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. So let me read. They're not very long. Let me read uh, both of these chapters together, starting at chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. He will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Chapter 21. O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him the desire of his heart, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. You welcomed him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life, and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed, for you will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. Uh, Some of you know my story. When I got saved, I was about 15 years of age. I was at a, a youth retreat when I first was introduced to really the the message of a relationship with Jesus. I had kind of been churched all my life, but how many of you understand there's a difference between going to church and actually being a Christian, right? I mean, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than buying a donut makes you a cop. You know what I'm saying to you? (laughs) Just like, I mean, you you know, you can do a lot of things that doesn't necessarily make you one, right? So when I was about 16, I'd only been saved about a year, I was at this youth retreat with my cousin's church. My uncle was a pastor. And so there was this youth retreat. And, and the lesson I remember was on trusting God, learning how to trust God. And so they gave us this exercise to try to illustrate trust and to try to teach us a little bit more about trust. And so the exercise went like this. Here we are, a bunch of high school teens, and we were supposed to pair up with another buddy. And then we were to share a blindfold and we were to take turns, you know, in pairs, blindfolding each other. And so if you wore the blindfold, you were completely dependent and relying on your partner to guide you and steer you around the campground for about an hour. And it just, again, it was to illustrate, you got to really trust, you know, you got to, you know where you're going. And so you got to really trust your friend here. Okay. And so I got paired up with this other guy and I, I don't even remember his name. And he said, I'll take the blindfold first. I said, okay, fine. And so I blindfolded him up and uh, he says, all right, now listen, I want to have good fun with this. I said, all right, fine. He says, he says, now I'm going to take off. I'm going to start running. You, you guide and direct me. (laughs) 
Now, friends, this is a campground, okay? There are trees, there are cabins, there are buildings, okay? But I'm just like, okay, whatever. So, you know, he takes off, all right? Meanwhile, I got a little distracted. I mean, I'm 16, right? And her name was Kathy. And Kathy was walking by, and now, now the friend of mine, I mean, he just took off running with his blindfold on, and I'm like, hey, Kathy, how's it going? What's up with you? You have a partner? Oh, yeah, I already have one. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, as soon as I'm having this conversation, like 10 seconds into it, all of a sudden I hear, boom, and then, ah, groaning sounds, right? So the guy that I was responsible for guiding had taken off and run right smack into the dining hall on the side of the building. Bloody nose, the whole thing. He was out on the ground. Now, obviously he didn't learn a very good lesson about trust because I failed him. Good news is, the Lord will never fail us, and so we can trust him. But how many of you understand there's a difference between knowing that we should trust God? I think if I were to ask how many of us know we should trust God, every hand would go up. There's a difference between knowing that we should trust God and actually trusting him. We have good intentions. We want to trust God when life gets difficult. But sometimes we don't do as good a job trusting him as we should. So this is going to be the theme of today's study from Psalm 20 and 21. Let's start with the working definition of the word trust. Merriam-Webster's dictionary basically says that trust is the belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, or effective. The belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, or effective. Now, since we're having a Bible study, okay, I'm going to change this up just a little bit and make it more applicable to a biblical Reference And so let's cross out someone or something, and let's replace it with God, and let's change the word or to and, so that the definition basically now says that trust is the belief that God is reliable, good, honest, and effective. How many of you believe that? God is reliable, good, honest, and effective. And it is important that we learn to trust him. The word trust appears in some form of the word trust, trusting, trusted, more than 200 times throughout the Bible, and more than 50 times alone just here in the book of Psalms. God calls us to trust Him, and when life gets crazy, we especially need to learn how to trust God. It is an important theme all through the Bible, and in particular here, we're going to look at chapters 20 and 21 and see its significance. Now, focus first with me at chapter 20 again. If you look in your Bibles at chapter 20, and for those of you who like to take notes, chapter 20, Psalm 20, is considered a national anthem of sorts. All the Psalms were originally written as songs. These were all originally songs that were sung by the Jewish people, still are sung today by the Jews. But chapter 20 is referred to as a national anthem of sorts because David wrote Psalm 20, as well as 21, And he writes it here as a song to encourage the people of Israel during a time of distress. That's how the chapter begins. Look at verse 1. David writes, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. All right, so that's that's the tenor of this psalm. This is addressing the problem of distress in the nation. It's unnamed. We don't know what kind of distress they're going through. But he writes this song as a national anthem and is a petition of God. Chapter 20 is petitioning God in the midst of their distress. Now, how many of you understand? 
when we go through periods of distress, that's when we need to learn how to really rely and lean on God. Okay? It's important that we understand when difficult times come, how do we press into God? And maybe you've experienced a season of distress in your life. Maybe even presently you're going through a season of distress in your life. And it is during those times we must learn to trust God. He continues there in verse 1 and says, May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Now, Zion is just a general term for the hill of Jerusalem. The temple had not yet been built. This is David writing this. It won't be until his son Solomon builds the temple that there is a temple in Jerusalem. But nevertheless, the tabernacle is nearby and the Ark of the Covenant is here in Jerusalem. And thus, what David is basically saying is, may you find your help from Zion. May you find your help from the place where God is worshipped. May God on high be the help and the hope that you need during a time of distress. And then he brings in this element of trust. Look further down in the chapter, verse 6, when David says, Now I know, by faith, he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Verse 7, underline this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? And he adds in verse 8, They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Okay, now understand the context. This is 1,000 B.C., right? So chariots and horses, I mean, that was a sign of great military strength. Chariots and, and, and horses back in that day were the equivalent of like tanks and missiles today. And the more chariots and horses you had, the stronger you were perceived as a nation, and people didn't want to mess with you. You have a lot of chariots, you have a lot of horses, we don't want to mess with you. It's because it's, it's like having a full artillery of tanks and, and weapons. And David says, though there are some nations who rely on their military strength, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. He says, but not us. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Because the victory is going to happen through the Lord and not through any other means. David says here, we're not going to trust in our military strength. Because first part of verse 8, he says, they that do that are brought to their knees and fall. He says, no, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, and therefore the rest of verse 8, we rise up and stand firm. David says, we have a greater strength than the size of our army. We have the Lord. We have the Lord. And the reason why David declares this is because, you see, he put his faith, his hope, his confidence, and his trust, not in that which is seen, but in that which is unseen. In an invisible God, David would run and cling and and rely upon, not in a visible army, but in an invisible God. And David is stressing this significance here. Now, please note, it wasn't that he was opposed to chariots and horses. He had some himself. But what he's saying here is, the chariots and horses are only a tool, but God is my trust. We need to all understand this difference. There are some tangible things. You see, because we live in a world that is a physical world and it's a a tangible world, here's what tends to happen. We tend to rely on the things that we can touch, the things we can see, the things that we can hear because we live in a physical, tangible world. And so we begin to think that we can rely on those things to help us 
while at the same time we neglect the things of the Spirit, namely God, who is infinitely superior to any physical, tangible thing. And so we forget because we live in a tangible, physical world. Oh, there's the God of heaven who is greater than all these natural resources that we might sometimes turn to and rely upon. And we have to be careful that we see tangible physical things as a tool, but that God is our trust. God is our trust. And this is what David understood from Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. So, for example, you get concerning news from a doctor, and a doctor says, here's my recommendation. We need some more tests. We need to get you some treatment, and here's some prescribed meds to help you. Okay, fine. Those things are a tool, but God is your trust. You have a a job, and it provides for you. So you have a home, and, and you have a decent car that you drive, and you have a little bit of money in the bank. Okay, fine. Those things are a tool, but God is your trust. Okay? You're going through something difficult. And so you turn to some people for some help, and you have some wonderful friends, and and they help you, and they say some wonderful things to you to encourage you in your time of distress. But those people are just a tool. God is your trust. And we need to understand the difference. Because if we start turning to the horizontal as the thing that will rescue us and help us and sustain us and save us, we're going to forget that it's the vertical that matters. It is God seated on his holy throne who is the one who will help us and save us and rescue us. God is our hope. God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. God is the one who is our rock. God is our mighty fortress. God is the one who will defend us and heal us and save us and help us. We cannot substitute a holy and powerful God for those things that are of this world. As wonderful as those tools might be, Those things cannot ultimately save us. So why do we put our confidence and our hope in those things? Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This was David's disposition, and this is what he understood. Now, the reason why David here emphasizes this is because he understood something. He understood a command that God had given 400 years before David was born that God gave to Moses... When God knew in advance, because God knows all things, that the people of Israel were going to want a monarchy. They're going to want a king, like the other kings around them. It was not God's best, because the best form was a theocracy, when the people of Israel would only see God as their king. But you know the story, many of you do, in the Old Testament, the Israelites complained to God, they want a king like the other nations around them. So God reluctantly gave them a king. Gave them a king so that they could find out how miserable it is under an earthly king, and that they'll turn to the king of heaven. But be that as it may, God gave them kings. But 400 years before the monarchy began, God also gave instructions to the kings. Here's some things you need to be aware of. Here's some things you need to understand. Here are some warnings. And one of the warnings that God gave to the kings is in Deuteronomy 17, 16. And he said this, The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. That was a commandment right there in Deuteronomy 17, 16. And David knew this. Now, God gave this command. Why? So that the kings would not think that they had victory for Israel because of their great military force and the size of their army. 
So God says, I want you to limit the number of horses you have. Because I don't want you to ever be deceived into thinking that the victories that you get are the result of your mighty army. Instead, the reality is the victories you get are the result of the mighty hand of God. And if you accumulate a bunch of stuff, and if you get this great cavalry going, and you get a bunch of chariots and horses, you're just going to begin to think that you've accomplished this victory yourself. So God intentionally warned the kings, do not, do not acquire a great number of horses for yourself. Now, let me show you the extent to which David went to make sure that he followed this commandment. If you leave the book of Psalms for just a moment, hang a left, go a little bit to the left, not too many books over, to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 18. I want you to see this scene here where David took so seriously how he had to limit even his military size for fear that he would forget God. There's a scene here in First Chronicles chapter 18. So turn in your Bibles there. And if you have one of the church Bibles, it's page 310. Page 310. And while you're finding your place there in 1 Chronicles 18, let me just kind of set the stage for you. David is now king, and he is conquering territory to take the land that God had given him. And so he's on various military campaigns here in 1 Chronicles 18. He subdues the Philistines. The Philistines were a seafaring people. Uh, who lived along the coast of the Mediterranean, um, mostly in what today we call the Gaza Strip. He's going to also defeat the Moabites. The Moabites occupy the territory today that we would call Jordan and Saudi Arabia. And then David moves up towards the Euphrates, which is in Iraq, and he heads up to northern Syria, and he takes this one king whose name is Hadadezer. And so here's the account, First Chronicles 18, verse 1. In the course of time... David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Gath and its surrounding villages from the control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites, and they became subject to him and brought tribute. Moreover, David fought Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, when he went to establish his control along the Euphrates River. David captured, notice this, a thousand of his chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And then the next sentence says, and he hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. Now notice, David in his military campaign here, one of the people that he comes upon is King Hadadezer, king of Zobah. This is the territory of, of eastern Syria, often to Iraq. And King Hadadezer had come, notice what David captures from Hadadezer's military force. A thousand chariots, seven thousand charioteers. These are the guys who actually, you know, rode and drove the chariots, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. So that's that's David's plunder for the day. I mean, you know, he takes them and he takes them uh, by force, and and he and he uh, uh, assimilates all of this. Okay, but now he's got a thousand chariots here. And the Bible says, last sentence of verse of verse four, that he hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. What in the world does this mean? All right, so a little drawing of a horse here. Okay, so we're going to understand a little anatomy of a horse. Uh, your hamstring, you know where it is on the back of your thigh, pretty similar to where a hamstring is on, on the back of a horse. The rear hind leg of a horse, this shaded red area is basically where the hamstring runs on a horse. David, when he defeats Hadadezer, king of Zobah, he takes... 
a thousand of his chariots, which means he's got a thousand horses pulling those chariots, and David hamstrings 900 of the thousand horses. Takes only a hundred for himself. In other words, he takes a sword or a knife and he literally cuts the hamstrings of the horses. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.